that is how you sell yourself. You speak to the skills that you have and how you've demonstrated those skills. I mean, it's all about showing proof, right? Hey, this is Heath Paget, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 95. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Abigail Schilling. 14 months ago, Abigail decided to make kind of a huge life change. She quit her job and hit the road in a 1966 Kit Companion vintage camper. And if I hadn't seen photos and seen in person, I would have no idea what that is, but it's really cute. Abigail is a serial side hustler, doing everything from creating custom wedding accessories, running a coffee subscription company from the road, hosting a podcast, and creating print-on-demand t-shirt designs. But her main side hustle is a little website that you may know called Upwork. Since hitting the road 14 months ago, Abigail has earned over $20,000 for her project management services on Upwork. And in this episode, she will share all of her secrets to winning at Upwork. All right, without further ado, let's jump into today's episode with Abigail. All right, Abigail, thanks for being on the podcast with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Where are you currently parked at right now? So I am currently parked on a residential street. I'm visiting my brother in Whittier, California, which is outside of LA. So not particularly glamorous camping. It's, you know, driveway surfing slash stealth camping at its best. But I'm passing through on my way to Central California for a friend's wedding. Nice. I will say that it's been hard to find good camping in LA. Yes, I don't really try. I lived in LA for 15 years. So I mean, part of leaving is leaving. <laughs> but because I have friends and family here, I do find myself here a lot. And I just stealth camp on the side streets. I don't bother trying to like, have a experience. Yeah, my older brother and one of my really good friends still lives there. Well, my older brother moved, but my buddy still lives there. He lives in Redondo Beach. And so anytime I go out there, especially when we had our 29-foot rig, I would just park on the street next to his house. And it seemed to work out pretty well, even though it was really close to the city. I just had to make sure to move it on Tuesdays because uh, street cleaners are the bane of my LA existence anytime I go out there. (laughs) So I want to talk about your transition. You've been on the road now for 14 months. Yeah. So I bought my trailer in July of 2016 and it's October now, but there was some transition time in there. So yeah, 14 months is about how long I've been like officially hundred percent in the RV. So what was the whole inciting incident for you to quit your job? What were you doing before and what made you want to hop in an RV and go travel around the country? So it was kind of a lot of things at once. It had always been like a back burner type idea. Mostly because I always, always have loved travel. The first time I traveled independently, internationally, I was 14 years old and I went to Sweden and I was like, I was there for two weeks and didn't want to come home. And when I got home, I like told my family how amazing it was and how I was going to live there someday. And I just couldn't wait to get back. And just kind of, you know, just like I was so homesick for the place I had been. And what I learned over time is I feel that way pretty much anywhere I travel to. I like fall in love with every new place. I, you know, just get so excited about it. I tell everyone all about it. I can't wait to go back. And I was in a job for almost 12 years where I did get to travel a lot. And that was one of the really great things I liked about that. 
And so that I've always been into travel. I followed Molly Mish on Instagram for years. Um, and they live in, they lived in an Airstream and now they have a Casita camper. And I always thought like, oh, this family's so cool living on the road. Like that would be something great. I was like, when I have kids, like maybe I'll get to do that. Like that's how it felt in my head. Just kind of this cool thing I could do someday. So that was kind of always in the back burner. And my, my lifestyle was like, the older I get, the more I've been embracing minimalism and thinking like, oh, like I need less stuff. I need less clothes. Like I need to be more intentional about how I spend my money. And so in a lot of ways, like being in a 14 foot trailer is a natural conclusion of that kind of stuff. So that was kind of all, I don't know, just pooling around in the back of my mind. And a lot of things came together around the same time in in my life. I've been in this job forever. I was super burnt out. It wasn't making me happy, fulfilling me. Um, and I felt exhausted and kind of overwhelmed. And just the idea of getting a new job was scary. Changing careers felt scary. What does my future look like felt scary. And so that was going on. I was in a relationship that wasn't good for me. Um, and I was just kind of stuck in this job. I was stuck in this relationship and that's going on. And then I'm start having various health problems. I, you know, probably because of the other stuff, I start going through a major depressive episode. I get diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. It's just a really difficult time. And I don't know, at least for me, like, going through all of that. And thankfully with the help of like healthcare treatment and talk therapy, um, I was able to start figuring out how to like take care of myself better and figure out what I actually needed and wanted and quit my job and just started, you know, making these big changes and it took time, but it was, you know, baby steps of not being scared of making change and taking steps in a new direction. Um, and I even like, I left the job that was hard for me and I worked in startups for a year, tried that out, left that too, because it turns out I just need to be more independent in, in what I commit to. Um, and so I try to do things I'm passionate about now, but the early spring of last year, I basically decided I'm going to be self-employed whatever that looks like. Uh, and I was still living in an apartment in LA, which, you know, isn't cheap and just trying to kind of figure out what that might look like. Uh, and I took a trip to Japan with a friend of mine and I, have you been to Japan Heath? Not yet. No. I mean, I know I say this about everywhere, but <laughs> I loved it. It was like so beautiful, so fun, amazing food, inexpensive, easy to get around, just a completely new cultural experience. And I had been kind of like, I had started on Upwork by that point. I was making a little bit of income on my own, self-employed. And I was like, you know what? I need to move to Japan. This is, <laughs> I've decided this is what I'm going to do. I loved it so much. I'm ready to make a big change. Um, I'm in a place now where that feels doable and exciting and like a way to kind of like hit the reset button. And I did some research and I was like, oh, it it's not that like, I mean, you need a work visa, uh, which means I would have to find a job in Japan, which isn't hard to do. But I had already made all these decisions about what kind of jobs I would and wouldn't do and, you know, 
what kind of commitment level I would have to other employers. And so it didn't match up. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I guess me and my two cats aren't going to move to Japan. <laughs> I said, but, but now I know 100%. Like, I do want to make a change. And because the RV idea had always been on my radar, it was just kind of like a like a light bulb going off where I was like, oh, obviously that's the answer that I mean that I can do, you know, it's a less expensive startup than say moving overseas. And I get to travel all the time, which is what I love. You know, I'm the only thing that keeps me from being homesick for all the other places I've been is like getting to go somewhere new. So this would be perfect. And I binged on like, I found your podcast. There was a couple other, I found like gone with the winds on YouTube. I just binged on all this content and I, in like three days and I was like, okay, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And I knew I wanted a vintage trailer. And so I like found the vintage trailer forums because I knew I needed advice on what to buy because you can, they, a lot of vintage trailers have water damage. So you got to be careful what you're getting, making sure you're not getting ripped off. And so it was within a week of like that flip switching to be like, oh, RV is the answer to me like flying to Seattle to buy my trailer. Wow. So you went from I'm going to move to Japan to I'm going to buy a vintage trailer and go travel around the country. Yes. I mean, it was also <laughs> it was a quick jump to Japan, too. It's not like I yeah. been planning the Japan thing for months. It was like I went to Japan. I was like, I, I have to move here. Did some Googling was like, oh, that's not as easy as it seemed in my head. But it scratched that itch. It motivated me. It, it kind of just opened my eyes. Oh, I can I can quit living in my apartment. I can get out. I can do something new. Yeah. And when you were looking at all of these opportunities, because you're kind of bouncing around and sounds like you were going through almost a little bit of a internal crisis in some ways. And like, what kind of opportunities were you hoping would jump out and, and fulfill you that you weren't getting? Like, what were you not getting from your work in a job that you wanted to have? It's hard to say because, I mean, I like had diagnosed mental illness. It's hard to identify a single cause. I mean, sometimes you just get so burnt out that you're at a breaking point where it's kind of like, well, nothing is going to like solve this problem. It's going to take time and and space. Um, and I certainly have just like I did work a lot less for a long time. I'm back to working full time hours wise now but for a while I just had to like I just had to kind of recoup and focus on self-care in a lot of ways but I think part of what was hard for me is I'm really passionate and I'm really entrepreneurial and so I get invested in whatever I'm working on and so when I was working in the different like quote jobs I did where I you know had a regular paycheck and a 401k and whatever when I was doing those things I was putting my heart and soul into it and working working crazy hours and just putting a lot of pressure on myself to succeed in all sorts of ways and always taking on more than I actually had the time to accomplish um, because I was like I couldn't help myself but it wasn't my own business it wasn't something that I would have, you know, started on my own or put that much effort into, but found myself doing it anyway. And so I've had to, you know, during this process, I've actually like done a lot of self-reflection to figure out how to, you know, take on a client or work on a project with someone and not get that way about it. Just, you know, do the work that's required of me without getting emotionally involved and burning out because I, you know, care too much. 
so I think that was part of it, just kind of figuring out that balance. But then also I just wanted a lot more freedom in choosing my schedule and being able to travel and being able to choose what like each day is going to look like. And ideally, you know, not working much. (laughs) (laughs) How do you, how do you not burn out? Like, how do you, how have you made that transition? Like, what are some practical things that you do to not get too overattached for projects and, and and still perform, I'm sure, and, and do a great job. But like, how do you not cross that threshold where you're killing yourself? Right. Yeah. So, so I think part of it for me was at first I just had to do it. It's kind of like, uh, almost like a fake it till you make it process where I had to instead, like, instead of just like flipping a switch and figuring out how to not do that, I limited each client that I worked with to 10 hours a week, because if I was only working for them 10 hours a week, I couldn't get that involved. There just wasn't that much, you know, connection. And especially since a lot of the jobs I was doing that for, it was a small team. Everyone was remote. No one worked full time. So it was just, it was a a lot of independent work. And I steered clear of marketing strategy type jobs, even though that's what I had had a career in um, and definitely had skills in. And that pays more than project management, which is what I do now. I actually knew, well, if the word strategy is involved, I'm going to be emotionally invested um, and I'm going to be frustrated and I'm going to be obsessing. So it was those two things, choosing something that didn't have the word strategy in it and didn't have, you know, these kind of like revenue based metrics. So I stuck with project management and I kept myself to like 10 hours a week or less per client. And then through that, then it was just practice, you know, acknowledging when I would start to have those kind of obsessive thoughts or feelings or focus or getting like feeling angry because, you know, my boss wasn't taking the like my recommended steps of action you know like I know this is the right way to do it like of course like I'm the one suggesting it why isn't he doing it Um, and I would get really angry and feel just like we're gonna fail because of it and of course then in my head that carried its own sense of like I'm failing Uh, and so because I had put on these other constructs I was able to like quickly identify when I would think those things and then you know be like, nope, that's not true. It's his business. If he wants to do it that way, like I've done the best I can and on to the next, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So when you, when you say project management roles, like what exactly are you doing right now? Like what are some of the, what is an example of a project management role? So currently I just have one client that I work for 20 to 30 hours a week. And it is a marketing agency called Full Cycle Marketing. And we work with a lot of people selling in the online marketplace. And we have a team of about, we have a team of seven and we have, I don't know, 20 clients. My role on this team of seven is that I interact with the client. So I'm figuring out what the client needs. I'm answering their questions. And then I'm kind of delegating that work to the appropriate people on my team and keeping it all organized in project management software. And I also kind of budget track to make sure we're going to have enough work that we want to do or setting deadlines, setting deadlines both for my team and setting expectations with our clients. So it's a lot of organizational stuff. And then because we're a marketing agency, I get to use, you know, I get to chime in occasionally on strategy or that sort of thing, but it's not my job. And 
I think every client I've had on Upwork has been project management. And depending on the size of the company, uh, it's looked a little bit different. But it usually has to do with just kind of organizing the work that we have and mapping it out on a calendar and setting expectations and figuring out what it's financially going to look like and when we might meet meet goals. Literally all the things that I'm terrible at. Like when it comes to project management, <laughs> I'm so lucky that I have Alyssa uh, because from the reporting and the organizational standpoint, I'm very much the strategy and see it out. And I can really see how you attach yourself. Like if you're looking at doing client projects, like you, you build out a strategy and say, we're going to, you know, pursue this over the next six months and we're going to implement the strategy and you're really vested in that and i mean it's a good thing for everyone in some regards but it's really hard to not build that attachment so i i thought i think that's a really interesting thing that you kind of remove that from the equation let's talk about upwork because i we've had a lot of people in our facebook group talk about hey has anyone used upwork or sites like fiverr or anything like that to find freelance gigs while on the road and I was stalking you before this this call and looking <laughs> at your Upwork profile, and I saw that you've had five jobs on Upwork, but from those five jobs, you've made over 20K, and you were confused because you didn't even know those stats were a thing, but I guess they share <laughs> them publicly. So you've, you've generated 20, 000, over 20000 just from Upwork in the past year, and I know you have some other uh, side hustle sites and things like that that we're going to talk about, but specifically Upwork, what made you decide to jump in and, and pursue, you know, project management using Upwork? So I, I can't remember how I learned about Upwork. When I had quit my last job and decided, you know what, I have to work from home. I got to figure out some way to be self-employed. I, I probably listened to some entrepreneurial podcast about the gig economy and Upwork and Fiverr. And I looked at Upwork and figured it would be good for me. So here's a tip. And this is, I don't know if you have a freelancer account or like a hire account, but you can have both. Like you can make two different accounts, but if you're logged in as someone looking for work, you can only see the jobs posted. But if you log in as someone looking to hire people, you can see all the other freelancers. So that's what I did first. And I saw, oh, there's a bunch of people who have a lot of experience like me that are on here and making money. And I'm sure I did see stats like the ones you found of mine that show like how many jobs they've had and what kind of ratings they have and what it looks like and who's hiring. Is it all shady people or is it like actual companies? And so I think I started off by just kind of doing that like backdoor research and feeling confident that it seemed like A, it was a real thing and B, there was money there and there were so many resources. So I created a profile really quickly. And I, I mean, the profile is, is the most important thing you're going to do. It is your resume. You, should, you know, all the things you do with a resume you should be doing with your Upwork profile, have a friend look at it, you know, make sure you're quantitatively stating your experience, attaching stuff like portfolio work, samples of what you've done, that sort of thing. And for me, I mean, I'm 33 years old, so I have tons and tons of work experience. And so I kind of had to decide, what am I going to do? And I talked about that a little bit before choosing project management over marketing strategy or even business coaching. And so I read a bunch of articles that Upwork provides on, you know, how to get the most out of it. And they talked about focusing your profile. Don't say like, oh, I can do these four things, choose one thing and really emphasize that throughout your portfolio attachments and your little blurb you write about yourself and all of that. 
so I did that and Upwork has kind of a status called rising talent and it's a badge you can get. That's one of the things I really recommend is trying to get that badge because if you have that, even if you haven't gotten any other jobs on Upwork, it kind of is like having a good success rating. You're going to show up in search results you wouldn't show up in otherwise. You're going to get reached out to by an Upwork talent specialist. You're going to get access to special webinars and that sort of thing. And so they award those to people who have filled out their profile really well, have demonstrated that they have work experience that's relevant and useful. And I mean, if you just Google Upwork rising talent, you'll find all the details on it. So I got that badge and I was really excited and I just really invested in it the way I would have invested trying to get a, you know, quote, real job treated it that way. I didn't treat it as just some like side hustle or like, oh, we'll see what happens. And you get a certain number of credits each month. I think I got even more credits when I got Rising Talent, but I've ever never even used all my credits in a month. The credits are free. And then after a certain point, like if you need more, you need to pay for them. But like I said, I've never even used up my free ones. I just searched for jobs and then like found ones again that seemed like a good fit based on the research I had done from logging in on the other side of the site. And again, you treat it like a job you're applying for. You write a cover letter that is specific to that person. You specifically highlight your experience. You state why you're excited about that brand and that project. All of that is really key in getting a position. And I got my first client, I don't know, within two weeks of getting on the site. And I was with that client for nine months. Wow. I mean, ultimately, you have five jobs on here, but 890 hours worked on your profile. Whoa. So it's like, yeah. Did you even know that? That, that you had sounds, that that's, well, I don't know. I mean, who knows what, it's like when you find out how much money you made and you're like, where did it all go? <laughs> like when you file your taxes and you're like, oh man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One thing that I really liked that you did on your profile was you say, a lot of times I, I feel like people, and I was talking, we have a mutual friend, uh, Kevin Holish and, and Mady. Yes. And we, Kevin and I were talking about how he doubled his, his app moments revenue this year. He doubled it mostly by what he did was he changed up the communication whenever you sign up for an app, the app, because it's like 7,000 people sign up a day for his app. It's crazy. And instead of saying, you know, you should sign up for the premium features and all that stuff, he started saying, here's the benefits when you sign up for premium. And you kind of did that with your profile. You said, I make MVPs fast at Quipply. I launched an MVP tool for the teams, the sales team in two weeks that reduced closing from three visits to just one. You really talk about what people will get from hiring you and, and your specific mm -hmm. experience. Because one thing that I found when working with clients is that like, if, if somebody just says, I have a skill in XYZ or project management, it sounds super vague. You're like, okay, that's cool. But when somebody says, if you just, if you walk around and say like, I did this project, then people can attach that and say, I need that project. I need you right. to do that for me versus you just saying like, I have this generic skill. So for instance, like at our, you came to our summit last year, we live streamed it. Winnebago was like, okay, this was cool. We should live stream our launch. We need you to do that for us and do that. So it's like so much of our client projects have just been that. Like we did this result. We did this project. We got these results. And other people are like, you come do that for me. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I work in marketing. I should be able to sell myself. So I hear that and I'm like, whoa, I sound so fancy and like I get stuff done. And, I, you know, 
yeah, I hear that. And I think, oh no, now, now the expectations are going to be really high, but you know what? That stuff is true. I'm, you know, I am highlighting what I can bring to a business, but I do sometimes feel a little like shy about it. I think that's probably a cultural problem. You always hear that like women tend to be more, you know, socialized to be more bashful, but no, that's, I mean, that is how you sell yourself. You speak to the skills that you have and how you've demonstrated those skills. I mean, it's all about showing proof, right? So is there an interview process that has taken place after you've reached out to these companies? Yeah, basically there'll be some back and forth messaging and then usually we'll meet over Skype or Zoom to have an in-person conversation. Well, not in-person, but, you know, live face-to-face on video chat. And that always, I mean, that reminds me a lot of a typical job interview. I prepare for that interview by researching the company, stalking the person I'm going to be meeting with as much as I can, prepared with questions, all of that. And, you know, they're typically 20 to 30 minutes. By the end, I feel confident that either they're going to hire me and it's a great fit and I'm excited. And then I'm just crossing my fingers like, okay, I hope the offer comes. Or I think, I don't think this is a client I want to go with, especially since I look for long-term clients. I'll make that decision, you know, in that interview process. Like, oh, if I have a weird feeling or like we, our sense of humor doesn't jive, <laughs> then I know like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to decline or I'm going to double my rate because, you know, there's a price for everything. So I, I think about that mentally a lot. I'm like, well, what would it cost to get me to work for this person? <laughs> and you never know what you might end up end up getting paid. No, that's such a good point. Whenever I've talked to people about client projects, and I mean, our indoor, indoor be-all isn't to do more and more client projects, but to continue to grow campground booking and software side of our business and to have products and not as much, you know, dollars for hours in the service space. But right. that's that's mm-hmm. been the one theme that's just been, you know, if you're super busy, but if somebody offers you a project, then ultimately, you know, just give them a number that is so high that would still make you excited to take it on despite all your other work. And sometimes people will say yes. Right. So of those opportunities, I'm interested to hear, did you do you take those calls in your camper? And has that ever been an issue? So yes, I take the calls in my camper. It's never been an issue. I typically communicate in the cover letter that I travel full time in an RV so that it's already out there. And I usually tie it in with like the values of the brand that I'm pitching. And I use the opportunity to say what values are important to me, that having a flexible schedule is important. You know, not being attached to my phone 24 seven is important. I don't say it aggressively, but I just, you know, I, I mention that stuff because I want it to be a good fit. Like if that's a turnoff, then there, then it's not a good fit. And we both know that. I'm very upfront in the cover letter, but I also try to connect it with the brand. Like, for example, I worked for a kid's YouTube channel that produced music videos in several languages to teach kids other other languages. And I think I, you know, I think I basically said, and that was that was my first client. I worked with them for nine months. I think I basically said, like, language learning and culture is really important to me. In fact, like I've prioritized travel and like experiencing new places in my lifestyle. And I'm just looking for like money on the side. You know, I, I pitched it like that. Mm. And I, you know, and I think I even said like, I'm excited that I'm not working as much. So I actually have more time to learn languages, which was true. And it was a really fun job because I was like, oh, now I'm learning how to count in Mandarin. Thanks to this children's <laughs> music video that I'm project managing. 
And then, yeah, I take the calls in my camper. I don't dress up like, you know, it's not as high pressure as as a real interview. You know, I don't have to worry about being 10 minutes early or anything like that. But I try to brush my hair. I look a little less slobby than usual. But once I start the job, that quickly goes downhill. Like with my job right now, they're in Nashville and I'm on the West Coast. So no matter what time I get up, they've, they're still ahead of me. And so I show up to our morning staff meeting like in my pajamas. And I mean, <laughs> I talk to them every day. They're used to it. Uh, but in the interview, I try to, you know, brush my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So another tip, brush your hair before your Upwork meetings. So you talked about uh, getting the rising skill badge and things to that extent. So what other kind of tips would you have for getting started on Upwork outside of creating an awesome profile and deciding niching down to specifically the job that you want to do? There's something, I think they're called skill tests on Upwork. And they're these little mini quizzes, like maybe a little bit harder than a BuzzFeed quiz, but they're fairly easy. And they're based in Upwork. I think they're like 100 questions. Each one takes 10 to 20 minutes to take. They have them in every different category. So everything from English proficiency to Photoshop knowledge to social media knowledge to Facebook ads to different softwares you might know how to use or like how fast you are at typing. There are all these different quizzes. They don't take long to take. Um, and it's just more ways to add badges to your profile. I probably did 10 or 20, just part of that like big push I did to create my profile. I did 10 or 20 quizzes that I thought related most um, and would make me stand out from other candidates. And I would say like over half of them, I got a badge that I was in the top 10% of people who had taken that quiz as far as performance goes. Oh, in interesting. So these quizzes are just like another little badge of honor that you can put on your profile and says like, you're really good at this thing. Exactly. And there's so many freelancers on Upwork that you need stuff like that to stand out, especially if you don't have a job success score yet. So like that's the hard part is getting that first job on the books. And these are different ways to like at least get found. So I'm like you get these little badges, you write the cover letter, you have your rising talent thing and like you get that first job and then you're going to be it's going to be a lot easier. I mean, when I'm I hire freelancers off Upwork on a regular basis, and I pretty much ignore anyone unless they already have a job success score because I'm like, I don't want to test someone out for the first time. I'll let somebody else do that, <laughs> and I'll make I'll wait and make sure they have a five star rating. So yeah, just doing all these little things you can do makes a difference. Talk to me about how do you set your prices and how do you bid for projects? Were you already doing a lot of client work outside of your job, or how did you kind of calculate? what your worth would be. I hadn't actually done like freelance like this before I started on Upwork. So Upwork was my first time doing it. I had been really busy either working on my own businesses or just working overtime at my job that there wasn't really space for kind of opportunity, even though I thought, oh, I bet there's money to be made there. As far as figuring out what my rates should be, I had a couple of things where I was taking into consideration. A, the salary I was making when I was working full time before I hit the road. So a general idea of, well, I feel confident that I'm worth this much because someone already paid me that much. And then again, looking at other freelancers on Upwork and seeing what they were charging. So I had a general idea of what I wanted to get, but then I also wasn't sure if I'd be able to get that. Obviously, I think we all underbid ourselves in general in life. Like we can probably always make more than we're making. Um, and so I'm constantly challenging myself to charge more and see if you can get that extra dollar and ask for that raise. But I 
definitely think with with your first client, um, you do want to bid a little low just because you're just trying to get that first five-star rating. Now, keep all the other stuff in mind. You want it to be a good client you're working with. You, you know, you want it to be a, a project that you're excited about. Um, so I'm not saying take any job for, you know, dirt cheap dollars. And also watch out for people that aren't going to pay you enough because if they're not paying you enough, that means, you know, they're not paying anyone enough and the work isn't going to be, the excellence isn't going to be there. But do, you know, do undercut yourself a little until you get that first client on the books. Also, once you do have that first client and it's going to be a long-term connection, after a month or so, ask them to end the job and restart it because that way they can give you that five-star rating, which will help you get more clients, which if the client doesn't have more hours to give you, but they love you enough that they're working with you long-term, I can't imagine they, A, wouldn't give you a five-star rating and B, wouldn't want you to you know have success finding new clients. But I've done that with several clients just asked him to restart it. And I've also taken that opportunity to ask for a raise if I thought I had, you know, undercut at the beginning and I was providing more value or the position was a little bigger than we had originally planned because I demonstrated skill in certain areas. And I've like every raise I've asked for to any of my Upwork clients I've gotten. That is brilliant. I love that. So, so because your project hasn't ended, it's a way for you to attract more opportunities uh, to the platform. So overall you've had a really solid success using Upwork how is that balanced out with your other side hustle projects? Yeah. So because I I really view Upwork and the clients I get there as a way to make money to pay for food and gas. You know what I mean? It, I don't want it to be a career. I have a bunch of other businesses that I'm working on. And so I try to keep my Upwork hours at only 10, 20 hours a week so that I can focus on my other businesses. So I have a business called Lo and Behold, and I own that with one of my best friends. Um, and we sell handmade wedding accessories and wedding decor online. And our biggest platform is Etsy. That takes, it's, we make, you know, mid- mid five figures annually. And so that does take a lot of time, just customer service, shipping orders, stuff like that. And there's so much opportunity on how to, with growing that store, like working on SEO and getting, we sell on Amazon too. So like figuring out what we want to ship to the Amazon warehouse and all of that. And we just started making veils for weddings and just expanding our product line. I like to spend time in that area because that excites me. Just like that brings out the entrepreneurial side of me. I'm excited about building that kind of business. And we've been doing that for a year and a half and I just love it and, and want to dedicate time to it. In addition to that. So those are, those take up the most of my time. Um, and then I also, in addition to my Upwork and then my, uh, handmade business, I design t-shirts, um, that I sell print on demand online. That is kind of a creative outlet for me. Currently I make like a hundred to $200 a month just off of royalties from shirts I've already designed. I haven't even uploaded a shirt in two months. Um, and I still make that money from the shirts I uploaded back in May when I had a little more time. I had an Eclipse shirt that did really well. That was exciting. So the numbers aren't quite as good now that the Eclipse is over, but it's fun to just come up with shirt ideas and connect with and find the people, you know, that it connects to. And then I also, like I started a coffee business about a month ago because I love working out of coffee shops and I love going to new, like new coffee places and new roasting places. And so I started a subscription coffee business um, where I ship like local beans from wherever I am um, to my subscribers. So it's those all that stuff is like just kind of trying to like 
fit it into the cracks, but I pretty much only do things that I get really excited about. Um, and so I don't even notice like, oh, if I quote worked a long day because it's like, oh, I was, you know, shopping for coffee or like making a funny shirt. I love it. You said at the beginning just how every place you travel to you fell in love with. So you've been on the road now for 14 months. Would you still say that that is true? And if so, I want to know, what do you do that makes you fall in love with places so much? Like, how do you how do you get to fall in love with a place so fast? I almost feel like I'm asking for love and romantic advice, which isn't the case. <laughs> but like when it comes to travel, like how do you how do you do that? I mean, I think part of it is just like my personality. The first time I got on an airplane when I was in the fourth grade, I like wrote a whole like long romantic journal entry about, you know, flight. Um, so I think part of it is just who I am as a person. I don't know if it's like can be taught. I think that I can also be a homebody. And so the fact that I get to do both because my home is on wheels makes it really easy. When I go somewhere new, I read like every historical plaque. And then usually I'll read a plaque and I'll be like, oh, I'm really curious about that like Native American tribe that was mentioned in this like random plaque I read. Um, and then I'll read about that and, and, and I'll just start digging into the history of the area. And I like to look on Yelp and see what restaurants people are into. I like to read the reviews, like just learning about who else lives there. Um, I like to people watch. I'm pretty much an introvert, so I'm not like making friends, you know, at bars or whatever. But there is that element of just kind of immersing myself in that area and learning about, and even if I'm in a national forest, because I camp a lot in national forests, it's again, just like knowing the geography and I'll pull up Google maps and just like scroll around and zoom in and zoom out. So it's just, I don't know. I think it's a natural curiosity that I have. And for whatever reason, it gets me excited. But you've, you've created that time intentionally to fall in love because you have to create the time to research and, and, and look up these places and, I don't know. So that's kind of my takeaway from that is like because you've been really intentional on the amount of hours that you're working and not over investing in all these particular clients, you've created time to create cool experiences in different places. Yeah. And I travel super spontaneously. So it's kind of a lot of the research happens kind of once I've like put the car in park and I'm like, well, this seems like a nice spot. And then I, you know, fall in love with it you know what it is? I get discouraged if I do too much research in advance because as we all know with RVing, things happen, plans change, the weather's too hot or too cold. You break your computer and have to go out of your way to go fix it. These are things that have all happened to me in the last, I don't know, three weeks. And so I don't make too many plans in advance because then I'll get disappointed if I don't get to go to the place I'd like researched the heck out of. And so instead I kind of wait till I'm there and then I just like fall in love with it through research while I'm there. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And my last question for you, Abigail, is how do you define success for you in this lifestyle? So I've been thinking about this a lot because I listened to your podcast. And so I knew that was going to be the last question. If I didn't ask it, would you be upset at me for not asking that question? No, I'd be like, oh, good, I'm <laughs> off the hook. <laughs> he can just put in someone else's. Um, <laughs> 
I think success for me looks like taking care of my health and that like mental health, physical health. And so, and, and a lot of that looks like taking things one day at a time. I don't set a lot of goals. I don't try to like project too far into the future in any particular area. I just try to take things one day at a time. I get excited if like in one day I've gotten to, you know, do some good work for my employer that I'm excited about and, you know, make some headway on my store and go for a run um, and maybe like have a cool local beer. Like that's like a perfect day. Um, And so, but also not being too hard on myself if that doesn't happen. Oh, you know, some it's one day at a time. Some days are perfect and some aren't. I love that. Well, where can people connect with you, Abigail? Uh, I am on Instagram at Faraby. So Faraby is the name of my uh, 1966 travel trailer. Um, And that's spelled... P-H-E-R-I-B-E-E, Therabee. Um, so I'm on Instagram there. That's the best way to get in touch with me. And I have a website, Therabee.com. We'll link you to like all my different businesses and whatever's going on in my life. Um, or just hit me up on Instagram. I love it. And speaking of your 1966 trailer, I just got off uh, my last podcast interview, which was with Paul and Caroline. They own a company called Vintage Camper Trailers. It's a website and magazine and things like that. Yes. And they're going to be at our summit. So you guys, if you're coming, Yay! You, y'all can, I'm y'all excited can, they're going to be there. Y'all can geek out on vin- all vintage camper trailer things. Yeah, it's funny. Like, my trailer's really small and I don't like, I don't have a lot of electricity. Like I have a tiny battery. Um, so I have these struggles that like quote real RVers don't have. <laughs> um, and then I'll, I'll go to like vintage trailer rallies and I don't fit in there either. Cause they're like, you live in it full time. So I may, you know, I'm always excited when I meet other full timers in vintage trailers. Cause I'm like, we know, we know how it is where you're like, <laughs> I need power. I need a shower. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to see you in February and thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Just a quick recap of Abigail's top tips for using Upwork. Number one, make a killer profile. Number two, create an employer account too, so you can look at other profiles and see what types of jobs and services are in demand. Number three, decide what you want to do and don't be afraid to niche down. Number four, get the rising talent badge. Number five, take skill tests, create a little bit of social proof for yourself. Number six, use your credits and submit to jobs intentionally. Number seven, keep the fees in mind when setting your rates. Number eight, lowball your first client to bring them in. And number nine, end and restart the job with long-term clients to start getting some reviews in there so you can get more social proof and bring in more clients in the future. All right, that's all for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to the podcast. Love hearing from you guys. Feel free to connect with me over on Instagram. That's where we're spending a lot of time these days, Heath and Alyssa. And let us know when you are hitting the road or what kind of cool projects you're working on at the moment. I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.